Hello and welcome to the For Real podcast, the show that discusses music, film, and most importantly, furries. Uh, so this is the second episode, and I'm joined by Vixen Dunk. Did I say it right? Did I say it right? Close enough. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, we're just going to have a bit of a discussion on the album and the film choices, along with the kind of stuff that you make. So uh, before we start, hi, how have you been? Have you been good? I've been well. I just recently got a blanket with my persona all over it, and I'm obsessed. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. Did you get that, like, commissioned, or did you, like, print it yourself? Or... No, I made it. <laughs> that's, well, that's mad. That's so sick. How long, I, how long did it take? Like, um, well, I made the pattern, like, like the drawn pattern, not the sewn pattern, Um, like, months ago, actually. And it took, like, a couple days, I guess, when you put all the time together. <laughs> that's that's still cool though like i was talking about this because um my girlfriend like she's like really into arts and craftsy stuff and she always tells me she's like yo you should try and make your own suit rather than commissioning other people and i'm like Mm. first of all i'm like not arts and craftsy in in the slightest and second of all i think you're underestimating like how hard it is to make a fursuit like it's mad like it's really really difficult and you got to buy all the resources you got to do all the foam and all that it's just like oh, I don't yeah. know. Yeah, it's, it's like cool. one of the hardest parts in my experience with fursuit making is like having all of the materials you need at one time. Yeah, because it's like, oh, I have the foam, but I'm out of glue gun glue sticks, or <laughs> I have like the duct tape that I need to pattern it, but I don't have any sharpies to mark the pattern. <laughs> it's like constantly <laughs> having to go to the store and getting more supplies, and it's like ugh, makes starting so hard sometimes yeah i mean yeah definitely because like i think people because obviously people are like yeah suits are really expensive but like you do, i think you kind of forget that the suitor has to buy all the resources and like obviously yeah. time as well it takes so long but i know and I it's like it, yeah uh like veteran suit makers have a ridiculous amount of like furs and other supplies already on hand but people like me i mean i don't do suit commissions but like when i want to make something for myself it's like i have to buy new everything because it's like <laughs> i don't have like a rainbow a of furs on yeah, hand exactly. so like i buy like just exactly how much i need for that project mm-hmm. um i know obviously people might get sick of me asking this question because i asked on the like first episode but how's covid <laughs> for you is it is it kind of a big <sighs> Obviously, obviously, it's, it's still a big thing, but like, is it kind of like personally affecting you majorly? Or? Actually, like my life isn't really all that different because yeah. originally before COVID, you know, I'm a freelance worker, artist. I work from home already. Mm-hmm. I never leave. I am an introvert, so I almost never go hang out with people. <laughs> um, <laughs> So it's like nothing has really changed. It just feels like I'm in a liminal space of time like i'm just waiting until the next thing happens it's just taking a really long time no yeah i totally get that because like me i it's so weird to think about like we went in lockdown our first lockdown in the uk in march and it's now like mid-december well start yeah when we're recording this but like that is fucking insane to me like that's mad it it still feels like it's like it doesn't feel like it's been a year it feels like it's just been like one long month do you know what i mean the last the last con i was at was a and e which was in february which was the weekend before tff 
Mm-hmm. which I believe was probably one of the last, if not the last fur cons that happened before everything shut down. Shut down so yeah. it's like, I'm happy I got like that one last little bit of fun in before it all just. <laughs> oh, it sucked for me because um, obviously I was, I was meant to go to a big uh, convention in May, but then everybody was like, it'll still be on. Don't worry. COVID will be sorted by May. And then like, even the convent, the people who were like uh, organizing the convention were like, we're going to try and keep it up as much as possible, et cetera, et cetera. And then they just mm-hmm. had to go, yeah, this isn't happening. I'm really sorry. And like, it just kind of yeah. sucked because like it was going to be my first kind of experience because that, that's something we can talk about as well. Because you, how long have you been a furry for? You've been a furry for a while, haven't you? Yes. Because <laughs> <laughs> I've been a furry for like, a year and a bit since like September. It's when I like started university. It's kind of weird. It's so weird because I like, um, I'd kind of like played around with the idea of you know being a part of this community, but then I didn't like fully like get commissions and like start having a Twitter and all that rubbish until like, uh, September twenty nineteen, which is when I started university and like I moved like cities and I just like kind of reinvented myself and I was like, you know what, I'm gonna like this furry stuff seems fun. I'm gonna try it and like you know <laughs> look at look at me now, you know. So compare it a bit, how long have you done it for? So it's it's such a hard question for me to answer because that's like what defines like being a furry or being mm-hmm. a part of the fandom? Because like when I was in third grade, we had a talent show mm-hmm. and my talent that I did that I performed in front of the entire student body was make animal masks out of paper plates and cups go up on stage, act out the animal, and the the audience had to guess what animal I was. (laughs) My family did not let me live it down for years. I was so embarrassed. But now as an adult looking back, I'm like, go me. Like, who else had the guts to do that? (laughs) And so, and it's like, I had two full suits and a partial before Mm -hmm. I even went to a fur con yeah um (laughs) uh, before i even called myself a furry Mm -hmm. um and i knew what furry was for a long time i had found out furries on deviantart actually because i was already on deviantart i had already made several personas Mm -hmm. i like you know had made my place in the sonic fandom on deviantart and everything and it's like i discovered what furries were because on deviantart you can like label yourself as a specific type of artist or at least Uh you were able to way back in the day yeah um i'm talking like 2007 here like 2006 2007 um and one of the things you can label yourself as a furry artist i'm like what is this Mm -hmm. and i was like this is dope and then my cousin was like stay away from that and i was like why and it was you know the stereotypes all that and yeah. i was like oh god <laughs> and it wasn't until i met elk dragon at a private art school that i apparently helped inspire the creation of and um he kind of showed me the ways of the furry and i still wasn't didn't consider myself a furry i still like didn't consider myself part of the fandom or anything. Mm-hmm. He made me a toothless full suit, a Rika partial, and then a second Rika partial, an upgrade to the first one. Mm-hmm. And then I went to my first Anthrocon in 2000, no, 2011. Yeah, 2011. And um I had a pretty good time. It was fun. It was weird. I was used to anime cons because I'd already been going to the local anime yeah. con 
um for several years mm -hmm. and um then after that anthrocon i got a full body suit so now i had a full suit but i still like i had been to anthrocon yeah but i still didn't consider myself a furry, furry. like okay. i wasn't like in the fandom or mm -hmm. anything yeah um and i skipped anthrocon in 2012 this is when i started college now and then um in 2013 I, i'm pretty sure i have these years correct i think 2020 2012 was the year that i skipped yeah. um and then 2013 i came back to anthrocon in my full suit finally considering myself a furry <laughs> and in the fandom and the locals because i thought i was alone i thought there was like no furries anywhere mm -hmm. in pittsburgh <laughs> in pittsburgh and um and then i went to anthrocon no no it was teco teco's the the local anime con it, it happens in the springtime um well anthrocon happens in the summer so no this was teco because i got my full suit my bodysuit right before teco and i went to teco and i had a whole bunch of furries come up to me and be like you're new come join the pa furry group and i'm like oh oh there are furries here so i started going to meetups and stuff and that's how i like finally cemented myself into the furry fandom no that's that's well wow that, that's a lot <laughs> i mean obviously you've been doing it for like well you've been part of this community for quite a while and like would you say that you're kind of not like realization but like your kind of journey to kind of being a part of like the fandom and community was like gradual because obviously you were like you had suits i still find it really fascinating that you you technically you had suits before you kind of consider yourself a furry like mm -hmm. you know that, that's really really interesting to me i mean going so, back that oh sorry you go you go it's all good <laughs> um <laughs> the way i put it all is that the reason why i started doing fursuiting and my first fursuit was actually a cosplay was because i had been cosplaying before i started like doing first and stuff but mm -hmm. my cosplays have always been like full body almost fursuit like um, so it was kind of just like a gradual transition into yeah. fursuiting. And the way I like to start the whole story is it all started because of my butt. <laughs> <laughs> right, you're going to need to elaborate on that. You're going to need to elaborate on that 100%. So <laughs> my first cosplay was a Neo Shadow Heartless from Kingdom Hearts, mm -hmm. which is okay, like cool. all black. And so I was like, oh, I'm going to just wear like skin tight black whatever I can find. But I have a larger butt <laughs> than <laughs> most people my waist size, in okay. my opinion. At least that's how it seemed growing up. My mm -hmm. friends would always comment on the size of my tush. And <laughs> so, but I was super self-conscious about it. So when I had on like the tight leggings and whatever, I was super self-conscious with yeah. how I look. So I decided to trip up the heartless because I put on trip pants you know the pants that have like the from hot topic with the straps and oh, spikes yeah. and all shit all over them um so i put those on i added like duct tape x's on and i put on these like steampunk goggles and i was the tripped out heartless or as i called it the neon shadow instead of the neo shadow mm -hmm. and i went to teco this was like my third teco i think and it was a hit people loved it, it. Yeah. i got so many pictures like all this stuff it was a blast and then the following year i did something similar with the dusk from kingdom hearts 2 
um, where it was like a very similar like tripped out style, and I called it the Dusk Tape because I was covered in duct tape. Nice, and that's so... a good name. I like that name. <laughs> and it just kind of like went up from there. I made I can't remember the order of everything, but I made Excalibur from Soul Eater. I made Glados from Portal. I made so cool. uh, the first actual like fursuit like thing that I made was um discord from my little pony oh yeah that's cool um, mm -hmm. so and i i think i had toothless before i made discord but um it was still like this very gradual like more and more kind of covering myself turning more animal like, animal -like cosplays okay. until i graduated to my actual persona <laughs> that's that's really cool though like kind of having a gradual thing because I've never done anything like cosplay or anything like that. And I mean, for me, it was more of a gradual of acceptance because it was mm -hmm. like, I, I mean, anthropomorphic characters are cool, but I mean, I would never have a one that's like me. And then I'm like, yeah. have a Sona and I'm like, yeah, okay, I get my Sona and, you know, I have commissions of it, but like, I would never get a suit. Like, I don't think that's my kind of thing, you know? And then now I'm just like, I might be saving up for a suit. I mean, I, I don't know. So it's just more <laughs> like you know gradually going up from there so it's really interesting to see how kind of different people kind of weave their way from because you you start obviously you started like anime conventions and then you went mm -hmm. then you then you kind of worked your way so it was a did you say it was like a subculture or like a subgroup within the anime convention that invited you to do the first yeah things? yeah cool. yeah it was the pa furries group um, mm -hmm. and what I thought was really interesting, and I feel like this isn't really talked about a lot, um, since I started at anime cons and cosplaying, it was like, people came up to me because they recognized the character that I was being, and th they thought that was really cool, I could interact with other people from the games and stuff, um, and then I made Discord, mm -hmm. which is a cosplay, but a fursuit. It was garbage, actually. It was garbage. But anyway, um, so I wore Discord to my second Anthrocon. And here I am, a seasoned anime con kind of person. Mm -hmm. And so I was expecting, you know, like the same kind of interaction with people that I did when I cosplay at an anime con. But it was so different. Like people, yeah, they knew who I was being, who I was cosplaying as. But, like, it didn't have the same effect. effect. So yeah. I was like, huh. So then I put on Rika. And it's like, I had nobody knew who I was, who Rika was or anything mm -hmm. at this point. <laughs> um, but I put on my, my fursuit, my fursona fursuit. And it was, like, a completely different experience. Because it was more like, oh, I'm being myself now. I'm, like you know, just interacting with people as myself. And it was like a whole different, different thing. Yeah. Like, yeah. And so then, but if you switch it, and if I wear my fursuit at an anime con or a video game con, it's like people don't really care. But when I cosplay, people will want to get pictures and all this stuff. Yeah. So like, it, it's like two completely different. Mm -hmm. And I, I still sometimes cosplay at fur cons, like one of my Pokemon suits or whatever. Um, and it's still like, well, obviously now people really know who Rika is. So she's yeah. like, it's all these pictures and stuff, but <laughs> it's still like a really different experience. And it's so interesting. And I don't know if it's different now that there's a lot more people going yeah. to, to fur cons, but, um, yeah. 
it was it was just so cool to to think about it that way because it was like just a completely different outlook on what it means to be a convention goer and stuff like no, it was yeah. it was just really cool i get that it's super super interesting because like that's the thing it's like a fursona that's like a connection to you like you're technically you're cosplaying yourself you know but mm-hmm. like obviously you have a personal connection to that character but then other people have personal connections to the cosplay characters that you would be interacting with and i mean we're on like almost 70 minutes of just talking about that's just super interesting so i thought <laughs> we can talk about obviously convention um convention experiences and the stuff that you do your dealers then but before that do you want to just have a quick do a quick rundown of like the kind of stuff that you make creatively because you know um i make a lot of stuff and it was actually kind of funny because i um my very first convention that I was a dealer at was Aquatifer 2018, but it actually okay. took place in 2019. Okay. It was a whole thing. Yeah. I think that was what it was, so but whatever. Yeah, that's not so you've only been doing um, the dealer's end stuff just recently. So that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the reason why I was a dealer was because I was actually a guest of honor. Oh, and, nice. um but it's like, I wasn't prepared to be a dealer. I had, so my fiance does laser cut stuff. Mm-hmm. So I had some of like the laser cut things that he made because I can make like one. I don't have to make like a hundred. Um, and then I was basically just doing at table commissions. And then by the end of that year, I was dealing at MFF. That, that's a big, that, that's a big, and big, big kind of I had that's a like, big convention way too much stuff for my little (laughs) half of a table so it's amazing like how in a year like i completely expanded the amount of merch that i had and um i have like so many stickers i'm swimming in stickers god please go buy my stickers (laughs) (laughs) i have pins also so many pins because i have to buy 100 at a time Mm -hmm. but yeah so i have pins i have stickers i have some t-shirts in stock i have some prints i have so many keychains now because i do um i have a patreon and monthly i do rewards for patrons that are merch so like i make new stickers and keychains and stuff monthly yeah um i have oh god what else do i have some badges some like laser cut badges and keychains and stuff and then i have my unique form of merchandise which are my berry meat trading cards mm-hmm. which are um it's a lot to explain but there are different sets and the one that i'm currently working on is the freak show 2020 set um which is special because it's a double set so we'll talk a little bit about a normal size set so let's go winter i did a winter set last year Mm -hmm. um so there are 20 numbers there are 20 different cards in one set and 18 of those are commissioned slots so when i open for a new set I will take commissions so people can get their character and then like their social media or whatever on a card. That's so cool. And then there's four different rarities. There's the commons, the uncommons, the rares, and the secret rares. The secret rares are the slots that are not commissioned. I do those. Nobody knows what they look like because they're secret. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're holographic and really pretty. So you, there's only five of each in a deck or in a set. Um, so you only know what they look like if you happen to get one. Um, So obviously when you commission a slot, the rarity makes them more expensive as it goes up. 
So uh, there are 500 cards in total in a set. And I put them into little booster packs. And in each booster pack, there are five cards, four commons, and one either uncommon rare or secret rare. And people can buy the packs for $5, trade, collect. And if somebody manages to collect all 20 cards in one set, then they get a free common slot in the next set. That's so, so that's, that's a really good idea, actually. That's really, really people. good. Yeah. Yeah. And we have had three people so far complete a set. Two people both completed um, the Freak Show 2019 Big Top set because there were two different Freak Show sets from last mm -hmm. year. There was a playing card one and a, and a Big Top yeah. one. I'm looking for your and shop now as well for it. <laughs> So, yeah, two people managed to collect all of the cards in, or all 20 cards in a in the Big Top Freak Show 2019 set, and they managed to do it at MFF. So they kept coming back and buying more <laughs> packs until they completed it. So they both got um, free slots in the winter set. So it's kind of like a fun way to encourage people to buy and trade and stuff. Uh, and I have a trading chat on telegram and on discord so that people can go in and be like hey do you have this i need this one you know i mean it's it's incredible like i'm just looking like it's so much like it seems like so much thought you've put so much thought and kind of like ideas behind it and it's like how long did it take for you to kind of like set it up and be like right this is the idea that i like definitely want to go with so like for a while since anthrocon uh a while ago many years there was the viking theme um i did these these badges because a lot of artists do like badges for the theme of the con that's coming up and they deliver the badges at con that's yeah. like a big thing that people do and i decided i wanted to do themed ones so they all had like the same background and then i would just draw the character on top of that background and like add the name on the bottom and i loved that layout so i just started doing it more and more and um, Freak Show started in 2015. That was the first time I did it because Apocalypse had Freak Show as their theme that mm, year. Yeah. And I wasn't going, but I really wanted to do Freak Show art. And I decided to open it up for people that weren't going to for Apocalypse. And um, I charged $10 mm -hmm. <laughs> for one. And I sold like 98 of them that's my that's so cool i was like so every year since then i have done freak show themed badges in september and october um this was year six but this was the last year i was doing it because freak show literally takes up my entire halloween season where i literally can't do anything else so i wanted to be able to expand to do other types of spooky art but um my friends were like, hey, these would be really cool as cards because yeah. I they look like cards and I would print them out as cards to like hand them out to people as like business cards. Mm -hmm. And my friends were like, this would be really cool like as an actual trading card set with like booster packs and rarities and things. So I tried it out 2018 for Freak Show where I did actually make the booster packs and I had like a form of rarity and everything. Um, but I don't consider an actual like set of the trading cards because it wasn't like actually set up yet. It was like a test run and it was, it was a lot of fun. It was really cool. People really enjoyed it. Um, so I was like, I should really like think about 
like how to do this. So I like did the math and mm -hmm. I figured out how much of each kind and like price wise and everything. And it's not, I mean, it's expensive, but it's, it's pretty easy to do actually. Um, did you have to get and really fun. for it and stuff? Or did you like yeah, I, I get them printed through like a site mm -hmm. uh, that does like the rarities they have. Um, I have the commons are just regular. The uncommons have a, gold edge around them the rares have like a textured high gloss and the secret rares are holographic yeah. so that's so cool they handle all that yeah. what would you say is the uh what's your favorite kind of pack or like like you know card set that you've made would you say the freak show because you've done the freak show kind of theme a few times so would you say that's kind of like one of your favorite kind of uh, i think to do freak show 2020 set that i'm still working on mm -hmm. is probably my favorite i'm it's been taking me because it's a double set so there's oh, 40 different cards now instead of 20 um and it's been taking me months to work through them because the pandemic is yeah well, definitely. um but i think aside from that one the summer set from 2019 is a big favorite of mine because i love the beach and all that and it, it was just a really really fun set to do and i love the colors and everything oh, yeah it's lovely i mean i'm looking for all the cards now and like they all have a lot of like life to them i mean it, it's mm -hmm. it, it is a talent i must say and it's like lovely Thank like you. <laughs> very very cool like, i vibe with that so much i mean would you say that's kind of your like obviously you do a lot of stuff you do art you obviously do your dealer den stuff with kind of your physical prints and your physical kind of trading card stuff would you say doing trading cards is your favorite kind of creative outlet or would you say it's just kind of like Oh, but did it go from like a side thing to something that's like now your primary like source of kind of distribution and stuff it's so hard for me to pick because i like doing so many yeah. different things <laughs> uh, yeah i think actually making like t-shirts and stuff is my favorite thing okay, yeah, um cool. it's just so much harder because like with the trading cards, the slots that people purchase essentially pay are the down payment for getting the cards made. But like t-shirts, I have to like get pre-orders and like do all this. And then I have to find storage for all these shirts. And it's just like a lot um, just getting started with making shirts mm -hmm. and everything. Yeah. Um, so that's why I haven't made very many yet. That's but good, yeah. I definitely want to get more into like making apparel and stuff like that. Yeah. That's what always worries me that like me and my girlfriend always talk about kind of like we always want to make a clothing brand but then we always think about like where are we going to put all the stock like and how are we going to fund it like we're both like broke university students like how, where, <laughs> what are we going to do with all this I think we're thinking of doing like a campaign on this website called Eberpress or something I mean this mm -hmm. is like you might have seen the teaser or like anybody that's listening to this might have seen the teaser of like the alien cat thing that like speaks or whatever like that that's my kind of like thing that I like uh, draw it's like the only mm -hmm. thing I can draw and it's like <clears throat> I did a sketch of like this um the cat like standing in a mirror and it goes like it says like self-love and it's him saying yo uh you look really good today and he's like thank you because it's just him in a mirror like self-love <laughs> I don't know I haven't like I because I put that on my Twitter like a few uh a few months ago and I finished and I digitized it and people were like yo you mm -hmm. should slap this on a t-shirt and then I was like saying to my girlfriend, I was like, yo, this could be like our debut piece. But I mean, what I am worried about if I ever do something like apparel, like you were saying, is controlling the amount of stock that you need. Because usually when it comes to like buying from an external printer, there's like, you need to buy in bulk. And then with buying yeah. in bulk, you need to make sure you have the audience 
in the kind of like mass like kind of thing to sell them all if you know what i mean so or it's just like in terms of storage like i only live in like university accommodation like how am i gonna you know store all this like stuff (laughs) yeah it's like like i said i'm not living in the house that i bought yet so Mm. like my storage space i've just kind of taken over a basement (laughs) and my t-shirts are like stored in storage bins because i don't really have anywhere else to put them as of right now (laughs) going on a like kind of covid situation obviously you said you do like you do dealer den stuff would you say that Mm -hmm. uh covid's kind of affected how you sell stuff and like have you like oh definitely yeah did, before covid did you have a lot of online presence for selling stuff or have you kind of adapted to that with covid do you think it's kind of worked in your so, favor a little bit it's like i have always been pretty okay with like filling up my commission slots and everything mm-hmm. um but since i just recently like last year or earlier this year no last year um opened my online shop i haven't had like a lot of traffic at all because it's new um so my traffic to my shop this year compared to last year is pretty much the same but some things like stickers pins that kind of stuff definitely for me anyway sell better at cons cons, than they do online um there was a bit of a um (laughs) outlier (laughs) last year though where i made these patches that were area 51 furry division patches because I made the design just for fun. And then my bub was like, you should put these on patches. And I was like, okay. Oh, nice. So I got them on patches. And the minimum order of 100. And I was like, what the hell am I going to do with all these patches? So I just put it on Reddit for the fun of it. But I didn't realize <laughs> that when I put it on Reddit, it was the day before the uh, Area 51 thing storming area i didn't realize it was the day before so there was a lot of traffic on that subject and i sold all of them all 100 in a day and then i had i opened up pre-orders and when i ordered again i had to order like 400 that's it whoa that that is like attacking the market for a viral trend you know that's insane i know it's the second time that's happened to me because the first time that's happened to me was when i made my foxy cosplay and put it up on youtube the day after halloween which happened to be around the same time that the second five nights at freddy's game came out so it got it went like it has 12 million views now like it went (laughs) i was like oh god (laughs) wait what your video has 12 million views yes that's insane <laughs> that's what launched my youtube career really because i start, started making that's what started me going to like magfest because i was like oh um my video got really popular and this cosplay is really popular so i'm gonna go to magfest which is a huge gaming convention, gaming convention music and game yeah. um so yeah so like that's the second time i accidentally hopped on a viral trend (laughs) and like it's so funny looking at my earnings from last year because it's like you know like uh this much or so the whole year and then in september it's like (gasps) this huge spike i've just searched on youtube foxy cosplay fnaf and you are the fourth search (laughs) result with 5.1 million views oh wait which one is it that's the it's the foxy days out it's not even the first one that's even the yeah, Foxy. There are there's Foxy's Day Out one, two, three, four, but we don't talk about four. And then there's Foxy's Night Out, 
And then there's Foxy's Night In, which I just uploaded, like, back in October. Damn. So there's, there's a lot of them. <laughs> That's a lot. I mean, kind of, like, going into things that kind of make people feel... Because you mentioned Sonic before. Would you say mm-hmm. that there was any kind of... Growing up, was there any kind of media that, like, made you kind of be like, yeah, okay, like, cool, anthropomorphic animals are cool? Because I can think of a few personally... So I've always been animal crazy, always. Mm-hmm. I took, if you see any pictures of me as a child, I am holding a stuffed animal. Like <laughs> I it was always. Um, but my very first character that I made was a wolf kid and a flying cat. But the first OC I ever made was a Sonic OC. It was a cat. No, it was a mole. Claws the mole. And then I made Renique the cat. Mm. And then I made Rika the fox, who was the sister of Tails mm-hmm. back in 2005. So my persona's been around since 2005, and she was originally a Sonic fan character. That's insane, <laughs> though. Like, 2005. 2005? That's, that's like, I was five years old then. I was five <laughs> years old. And I'm like, that's what I was talking about, like, last episode. Like, Gucci Feline was saying, like, oh, I started doing fandom stuff in 2008. And I'm like... 2008 i was still in like primary school i was still, like first year, <laughs> elementary school and it's like super weird to me okay yeah, that's so, crazy yeah. right so we're kind of pressed for time a bit i mean we talked a lot about kind of we could talk for ages about the kind of stuff you oh make. yeah so you do so much <laughs> i mean but uh, i think it'd be good to move on to the album choice of this week which is a fever you can't sweat out by panic at the disco Okay, so what did you kind of think of this album? Because obviously, we chose this for a very specific reason. Because Planet the Disco, like we were saying before, when we have a lot of media stuff that kind of links to Furry, uh, Panic at the Disco for you was a big inspiration for a lot of characters you made, wasn't it? So Yes. Um, so I grew up with Panic at the Disco because I was an edgy teen. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and... Now when I listen to Panic! at the Disco, A Fever You Can't Sweat Out is still probably my favorite album just because of, like, the nostalgia factor and everything. And, I mean, obviously, it's a great album. Um, But Panic! at the Disco has always been, like, MCR and Fall Out Boy as well, but mainly Panic! at the Disco has been, like, such a big part of, like, me growing up and everything. And so I listened to them a lot. Mm -hmm. And I had this idea once when I was, like, really listening to the albums where i was like these would be really cool as characters now i have for a long time have always liked turning things into characters like one of my senior projects in college that my friend and i worked on together was we turned the buildings at our college into characters so we like took different elements of the buildings how they made us feel like what kind of personality we think they would have based on like if they're a science building an art building or whatnot and then we took those and we made people out of them and it was like a really fun project so i kind of did the same thing with the panic at the disco albums where i took elements from the, the album art the songs uh the words the feelings the music videos and i turned them into furry characters into animals that i then sold as adopts back in like oh god what year was that like 2017 or something if you're watching on youtube i'm gonna put them on the screen for everybody but i mean they all i love how 
not only do they have the kind of like aesthetic of the album cover and the feel of the album, but they also have personality kind of traits that are similar to the kind of sounding of the album too. So like mm-hmm. you've got obviously a fever you can't sweat out. You've got, you know, a kind of bird character that's like quiet and bizarre. And that, that that's the kind of thing I like, especially like uh, songs on the album. It was so mm-hmm. weird. It was like bleak, but like it was done in a unique and bizarre way in a sense that it was just kind of upbeat as well. I think it was like kind of like yeah. angry, grungy kind of stuff. And I mean, I'm personally not a pint of disco kind of listener. I mean, when I back in like 2016, when I was probably like, you know, well, I was 16. So back in 2016, <laughs> I listened to like Pierce the Veil and stuff. That was like my kind of thing. Pierce the Veil is like my favorite band ever. And it's kind of weird to see how much my like music taste has changed now. But I can definitely appreciate the album. Like um, mm-hmm. I listened to it and um, I'd say one of the gripes I had with it was that like, um it like kind of teased like a lot of albums some albums do this thing where like they'll transition each each song into each other but then like with Planet the disco album it hinted at like a transition but then the transition wouldn't be smooth so like <laughs> you know you know at the start of like the i write since not tragedy when you got like the plucking of the strings it had mm-hmm. that in the track previous to that which was uh um, yeah which was but it's better if you do but like it didn't ease it into the song it just like did the plucks and then just kind of like cut straight into it and I mean, there's nothing wrong with mm-hmm. that because, like, you know, it's just kind of personal preference. But that's the only gripe I had with the album. But overall, mm-hmm. I really, really liked it because, you know, an album, personally, I know an album's good if I'm listening to it and I'm not getting bored and it's not the kind of music I would listen to, if you know what I mean. Like, I, mm-hmm. I have a kind of, I have a difficult tendency to focus on something that, like, I'm not really enjoying, et cetera, et cetera. Or, like, well, obviously, but, like, something that I'm, like, kind of, music that I wouldn't you normally listen to. I love listening to new things, but sometimes I find it hard to begin yeah, to do that because yeah. I just I'll I'll say that and be like, "Oh yeah, I'll listen to this new artist and then I'll go back listening to like the same Kanye West album like for the 50th time because it's just what I like. It's like my comfort stuff." But overall, I loved it. I think it was well structured. I think obviously you said it's your favorite because of like nostalgia factor, but I do think it was a it was a turning point because obviously it's their debut album and I do think they kind mm-hmm. of solidified as a band, obviously before it became like a Brendan Yuri solo project. They kind of yeah. solidified the feel in the mood for their upcoming albums. But then it's weird because like, it's it's definitely amazing for like when you're making characters because you can make so many different new characters. But I think I would say after Vices and Virtues, when it came in like Death of a Bachelor and Two Year Live, you kind of, I kind of Brendan Urie kind of turned PATD to something that was more like pop oriented. Yeah. So that's that's another kind of one of the reasons why I wanted to make characters from Panic the Disco specifically is because all their albums have like almost a completely different feel to them. Like Vices and Virtues and A Fever You Can't Sweat Out are kind of similar, but not quite. Um, but then all the other ones are just like so different and i wanted to like kind of push that and see like how different can i make these characters but still like have them be connected in a way yeah no that's yeah i totally get that i gotta say my favorite one out of all of them is definitely the vices and virtues i just think i just love i love it i love the leopard Mm -hmm. and like i said like i love like the old-fashioned art kind of kind of you've thought of the personalities behind them and then Mm -hmm. what was even interesting we were talking about how um, some of them obviously you sold them as adopts and even the the pretty odd one is is now a suit in that yeah yeah and that's so cool i mean do, do you think the person also 
likes Planet of the Disco, would you say? Is that oh, I'm kind sure. Of, yeah. I'm sure. Um, and I think Odd was one of the more fun ones to to design because that album is so much different than all of the other ones. Mm-hmm. And the the music videos are really fun and everything. So like I had a lot of fun putting that all together to create something just completely different. <laughs> uh, when it comes to kind of how I'm inspired with music, it's definitely a part of my fairy side. And this is something I was talking about with um, Kusaki Desu and Gucci Feline in the first episode where like I base a lot of my commissions off the kind of music I listen to. And I based obviously the outfits that my fursona is like kind of wearing in my commissions based on the music. Music and fashion are like big inspiration for me when it comes to like fairy commissions and being a fairy. So mm-hmm. to see somebody make characters based on it is wonderful. I love based on kind of music. And I I love the um the death of a bachelor one sums up the record perfectly. I mean, I haven't listened to it <laughs> yeah. in a while, but I remember listening to it when it first came out. Mm-hmm. And it's like it's a very different album. It's it's like you said, it's a more pop oriented kind of album. And it's and it's also kind of like it's an album to enjoy. It's a positive album. Yeah. It's compared it, with the day. I, it feels like a party party album. Like I would want to party. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not the best with exactly, words. Yeah. Like no, I, I just want to like move and like have a good time. Don't threaten me with a good time. Exactly. You know? <laughs> um so would you say, do you still listen to kind of, do you still go back to Pint of the Disco now? Because obviously you're saying you grew up with it, but do you still go and listen to that now? So, or has your music kind of changed? So Spotify does this thing. When you have your playlists on shuffle, Spotify doesn't do a very good job at shuffling. <laughs> so some of my playlists have like a lot of Panic of the Disco on it. And my Spotify decides to play all of them at once right after each other so mm-hmm. i did get kind of like tired of it for a while because i was listening to it like so much mm-hmm. and also the newest album i is okay i'm not crazy about it i haven't done a character based off of it yet because i it hasn't quite like meshed with me yet like i, I haven't vibed with it enough yet from something to come to me because like i don't seek out these characters they like manifest in my brain when i listen to the music and stuff so that just hasn't happened with the new album yet um but there are definitely like because i'm somebody who doesn't listen to albums i listen to songs Songs, so like i I, i'll pick a couple songs from each album and, and listen to those but i can't say that i like fully listen to any one of the albums as of right now (laughs) no i totally get that though that's like sometimes i can listen to specific i'll listen to the same specific songs on an album a lot and i'll tap on it and i'll realize like i haven't actually listened to this album back to front obviously there's like, yeah. kind of like big songs from that album that you'll just listen to and then you won't like seek out kind of specific records but when it comes to like an artist that you like and you listen to the same song on that album and then I kind of realized, like, I haven't actually listened to this back to front, and I might like more songs that are on that record as well. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I've I, definitely yeah. been there. <laughs> I mean, Death of the Bachelor was the last one. I have not listened to Pray for the Wicked. It's such a like. I think the new records of uh, Pint of Disco is such a contrast compared to its kind of like building blocks of a band. And I mean, obviously, there's everything going on with Brendan Urie right now. I think there's a few things 
uh, that he's been accused of, which isn't very nice. So it's just kind of when it comes to artists and when it comes to kind of development, it's interesting to see how much they've changed from such like a small debut band to now it's a solo project that's like pop oriented and it's just mm-hmm. like such a difference and i mean i'm unsure if i vibe with it i mean i think i would definitely i'm with you and i think i definitely prefer that kind of old stuff and i mean it's got i mean i write sins not tragedies is like one of the most like not it's not influential but it's one of the most well it is it's like one of the most influential kind of um songs of like the, t- yeah. the, two- the early 2000s or like the mid 2000s and it's just like in i think yeah. it like the panic of the disco in general like when they started was just so weird and like so out there kind of like when lady gaga started just like so bizarre like that you just listen to it or watch the music videos because it, it was like watching a train wreck essentially in mm-hmm. kind of a way um or you can be like me and like worship it for your teenage years but (laughs) (laughs) no so yeah i fully enjoyed it um definitely kind of check it out if you haven't listened to pint of disco's old stuff i mean you probably have to be fair but Mm -hmm. definitely check it out and uh, i think we will move on to the final part of the podcast which is talking about the film how to train your dragon which is directed by, hold on, I'm going to find the director. Train uh... Dragon, directed by, I'm getting my Google up. Directed by... I don't even know. Chris Sanders and Dean De Blois, I think. <laughs> okay, so you chose this film obviously because you're the guest <laughs> but i'm gonna <laughs> i'm gonna set the question now the base question did this film contribute for you being a furry because toothless no. you talk about toothless stuff. okay <laughs> that's interesting because so, toothless is a big thing but toothless isn't anthropomorphic but i know a lot of people who like this film that are furries and i'm like does it kind of link because of dragons and you know scalies and stuff anyway you continue you go you go so like like i said i was furry way before like i even thought what furry was yeah um so how to train your dragon is actually kind of funny because i was watching a movie in the theater i don't remember what it was but there was a preview for how to train your dragon which opened with like a sheep and my first thought when i saw that sheep was oh this movie has animals in it i'm gonna want to watch it (laughs) (laughs) and then i loved the trailer and everything about it but i never saw it in theaters and I greatly regret that. Um, it's just I didn't have a lot of friends, so I didn't really go to the theater very often. But um, <laughs> so I I just never saw it. I eventually rented it on DVD and I watched it on a portable DVD player in the car when I was on my way to vacation. It's oh, just such a vibe that like, and- <laughs> sorry to interrupt, but that like, that just like sent me back. I remember when I used to go on like, I'm from like the north of England and we used to like sometimes get the ferry to France on holiday and used to like drive the entire length of England and then mm-hmm. get on a ferry and then go to France and I remember used to have a fucking portable DVD player with like oh we had the the magic roundabout with but I think it's also I think it's called Dougal in America but like mm-hmm. I used to have that and it was such an awful film but obviously me as a kid's like oh look it's got a you know dog in it pretty cool you know magic <laughs> roundabout epic but like it's an awful film i just remember watching that one sorry 
not nostalgia has blinded me with this story. So continue, continue. So port, portable, portable DVD player. You're watching How to Train Your Dragon. Yeah. So um, when the movie ended, I immediately watched it a second time. Oh, nice. <laughs> and I, at this point, like I've seen the other ones in theaters. And actually, when I went to see How to Train Your Dragon two, I in theaters with my friend. I wore my toothless costume. Oh my god! In nice. the theater, and I wore it around. Like I wore that suit everywhere. It was like an anthro toothless suit. It was one of Elk's very first suits. Possibly, I think we've determined it was his very first commission. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, the suit is I was one of his first, so it's not the best constructed. But I love that suit so i wore it all the time i mean like at events and stuff mm, not yeah. like <laughs> <laughs> the body of it was like comfortable enough that i wore it like as you would wear a kigu okay. um and uh i wore it to the movie theater there was like four people in there so <laughs> i did not wear it to see the third one though no. okay. um but yeah it was i just the everything about like i would consider i'm very critical okay i'm a very critical person and my favorite movie is the lion king but i only watched like half of it because i can be critical very Mm -hmm. very much so but i consider how to train your dragon an almost perfect movie (laughs) Mm, very interesting (laughs) i mean uh lion king quickly just mentioned that um i had somebody uh, apply that's going to be on the show and they they were like oh well i want to talk about the lion king or the jungle book remake and i'm like yeah let's do the jungle book remake because there's no way i'm watching the lion king remake because i'm too scared because <laughs> lion king's one of my favorite films of all time i don't want to yeah. watch that remake and it ruined don't it for subject me. yourself don't subject yourself to that kind of torture <laughs> so, i haven't yeah um, I've watched like some clips and um, I like just real sidebar. I tried to watch the um, Beauty and the Beast one. I tried. Mm-hmm. I had to turn it off. Damn. I I could not do it. <laughs> I think it's just because I'm very like I'm very uh, biased towards like things like animation, and that's kind of gonna segue into me thinking that this film is very very good, and I don't remember it being this good when I first watched it. You know, like all those years ago. <laughs> But what I do really like is the narration thing that it does. Like, Hiccup is telling his story and it's done in a way that, like, it's kind of like a development of him being, like, a skinny, weak protagonist to somebody who's now looked up by innovating with the the way that they live. Because he, he essentially changes it for the entirety of Burke because, because they go from fighting dragons to being allies of dragons, which is a really kind and of like nice thing. You had mentioned narrative, the the narrative specifically, where like the narration at the beginning mirrors the narration at the end, mm-hmm. which that's like a huge theme in um, How to Change Your Dragon is like callbacks, where there's like repetitive phrases that like each time they're said is almost like meant in a different way like to toothless hiccup people would make fun of him and be like all oh, this problem and he's like you just gestured to all of me being like what the the entirety of me is the problem like yeah. it's nothing specific it's just me and then at the end is like all of me is what's great like this is it's like me me is the thing that got better <laughs> me is the thing that changed everything yeah. And there's, like, several other callbacks like that. Like, um, 
there's this beautiful parallel. So you have Hiccup knocking down Toothless. And then he goes to find the dragon that he knocked down so that he could kill it and prove himself to his father. So you have this scene where Hiccup is kneeling over Toothless, who is wrapped up on the ground, unable to move, ready to accept death, while Hiccup is holding this knife above him, ready to stab him. But then he looks him in the eye and realizes, like, this poor creature is a lot like me. He's scared. He's terrified. We thought he was like this big, dangerous, impenetrable monster. And here he is now completely vulnerable on the ground. And his life is in my hands. But there is a life here that I'm about to take away. And the poor thing is like horrified. So instead, he decides to save him. To save it, yeah. And then at the end of the movie, we have a very, very similar kind of composition where instead it is stoic kneeling over toothless Toothless. who has just fallen out of the sky holding well he doesn't know he's holding him yet but toothless has hiccup wrapped up and stoic just watched this dragon and his son fall from the sky and it's like this beautiful like thinks his son is dead now yeah where stoic is where hiccup was Mm -hmm. so now stoic is the one that who you know is this big burly guy who's so tough now he's the one who is staring at this vulnerable creature who just saved his son and it's like just this wonderful like development of character i'm really bad with words so i'm trying to do this no, as no, best that's, as no, i no, can no that's, but, like, no, that's like, exactly <laughs> it that's exactly it like kind of parallel compositions and framing that mm-hmm. kind of represent the character's um kind of development in the the positive development going from thinking his son's like such a weak and kind of just like an overall not very good kind of viking to somebody who stoic is now you know kind of kneeling upon wishing that you know he's, he's kneeling for the obviously the the his son because he thinks his son is dead and he's kneeling in respect but at the same mm-hmm. time he's kneeling for toothless as well because toothless is it's a night fury and obviously they're all afraid of a night fury and they're all afraid of dragons and that's why they kill them and stoic Mm -hmm. as a character is like we are meant to kill dragons for the entire film he's like we are meant to kill dragons we are meant to slay dragons and then it comes a time at the end of the film where he's like that is not how we're supposed to live and that's when he kind of you know kind of respects them both and i think that's kind of a really cool thing um completely off topic one gripe I did have with the film was the voice acting. I mean, the voice acting was fantastic from everyone. And that, that, and that, that sounds completely contrasting, but <laughs> it was a little off-putting that every single secondary character and every single adult character were all Scottish. And I then, know! And then all of, all of the children were, like, American. And, I mean, it's fine because, obviously, you know, you've got to get your star casting. You've got to, yeah. like, get American voices for, like, a, you know, a Western audience, but... I feel like if you were, I feel like stoic, stoic Scottish, Scottish, you know, voice actor or Scottish accent mm-hmm. is fantastic, and it, and it works Butler. with this character. Yeah, works really well with this character. But yeah, everybody else like it didn't wasn't really needed, and I mean it's fine, but like yeah. it just it kind of so, broke the immersion for me a bit. For me, like like I said, I'm very critical, and there are a couple things like there's a scene that's in there twice. Um, 
it's like the exact same cut almost is in there twice, which is annoying. The same thing happens in Lilo and Stitch. But um, so the stuff like that where it's like it's a little bit distracting, but it's not distracting enough to take away from like the story. Because for me, what I am mainly into with media is like the characters themselves. So like, excuse me. Um, if the animation's kind of subpar, if the story's kind of eh, but you have great characters, like, I'm gonna be really interested, but then if you have, like, a beautiful animation and a beautiful story and everything, but the characters just kind of suck, I'm not gonna be as interested. So, like, the voices not being the same accent was a little bit mm -hmm, distracting, yeah. but for me personally, like, it wasn't enough to take away. And, oh, like, no. another thing, like... With How to Train Your Dragon, the um the kids, um like Toothless or Jesus Hiccups friends, <laughs> like I didn't think like I thought they added enough to the story that they worked in the story, but like in the sequels they were more distracting comic relief than they were in the first one. Mm -hmm. um, I think the first one is the best out of all three, yeah. but um. <laughs> I mean, I haven't seen the other two, so I can't really say, but. What I can say is I really did enjoy this film. I mean, I, I'm mm -hmm. already biased for animation, but I don't remember it being as good as this. I mean, I, I read the books when I was, like, little, when the first came <laughs> It has out. nothing to do with the books. But it's literally, like, yeah, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> Even though I can't remember the books that well, they're just, like, kind of... The, the, the film has got nothing to do with the books, and it kind of goes like that mm -hmm. typical, like, you know, stereotype of the books... They, they change everything in the film to a book and i mean yeah. sometimes adaptations are like awful but this adaptation is completely different which usually goes downhill when you're adapting from a book but yeah it's they just like did really well. i think why it worked so well is because it's their own story yeah. so it's not like you know they did an adaptation of something and, and cut, then like, and, and cut like specific parts out and stuff yeah like that. yeah it's like taking like, it's kind of like The Haunting versus The Haunting of Hill House, Hill House. the series, yeah. where it, like, takes ideas from it, and it's, like, an, an inspiration of it, but not really a remake or an adaptation. It's just kind of, like, an alternate universe, I guess you could say, of a similar story yeah. with similar characters. And that's how I wish these Disney live-action remakes were, like, a completely <laughs> new fresh take on it instead of like shot for shot but i'm not gonna get into that <laughs> that's the thing that's and that's a that's another shit there thing for another episode you know yeah where we <laughs> are well i will be watching a disney live action remake some at some point um and it'll be interesting uh, to see my take on it you know godspeed <laughs> godspeed <laughs> but yeah but yeah like uh how to train your dragon and back to the i forgot to mention with the beginning and ending narration what like gets me to be like hell yeah at that is like um the beginning narration he's like are we like our pests like most people have like i don't remember exactly like, what he says but like, like, like rats, rats or yeah. like blah 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 yeah. we have dragons well at the end he says other people's pets instead of pests it's pets 
-hmm. are like rabbits or hamsters or whatever and then we have dragons and it's just like this beautiful like how just the beginning and ending narration with just like a couple words Mm -hmm. really really shows like the polar opposites of how the story begins and ends and how much has changed like it's just such a real really good writing in my opinion yeah and it's a lovely (laughs) roundup this is exactly what i was saying about the narration i love the narration element and it was used again, kind of similar to the mm-hmm. visual um, duplication, the visual similarities of the kneeling down mm-hmm. of Stoic and kneeling down of uh, Hiccup. Um, you have a development in the story and a development in how the characters have changed their livelihood, because at the start of the the film, you've got Hiccups calling them pests, and now since mm-hmm. they're part of their society, they're now pets, and it's just like it's nice. It's the same lines repeated at the beginning and the end of the film, but changed to represent a resolution of the of yeah. the future overall. And I think that's a fantastic way to kind of it's simple for its audience because obviously it's a it's a children's film at the end of the day, but it's also a really uh, I I love the way of representing kind of a conclusion in that sense because mm-hmm. it shows that the characters have been on a journey, and it shows that they've pos- have a positive outcome of the journey as well, which is great. Yeah. And I love um <laughs> I love how the dragons that they train with that the other kids eventually adopted as their own um how they like mirror the personalities the size, of yeah. the kids they end it's up lovely. with um it's I lovely. love like the montage of Toothless being trained by Hiccup and how Hiccup like uses that to fight the dragons in training in a non-violent way where it shows like if you learn with them you can like it it, it shows like a gradual lead up to how the the humans and the dragons can live together non-violently and peacefully and everything and it's like how this one kid was able to figure all of this out if they would have just taken the time and everything um And everything about uh, Astrid is great too, like um, where she keeps hitting Hiccup and then at the end where it's like, what does she say? She like punches him or something and she's like, that's for this. And then she really punches him and she's like, that's for this other thing. Where at the end she like gives him a little punch and then she gives him a kiss. A big smooch, yeah, a big smooch. (laughs) Um, Just like little repeating things like that. I just... I love it. <laughs> it's great. It's an I, I like that. Like that's like my guilty pleasure cliche is the mm-hmm. punch for that's for this and then it goes into like a smooch or something like that. It's just nice. I don't know. It's cool. <laughs> um, like yeah. I feel like the relationship between Hiccup and Astrid was a little bit like a little bit forced, a little forced, bit better. Yeah, a little cliche. Yeah. Um but it worked. It still worked mm-hmm. because they really show like like it may have been a little fast with Astrid like warming up to Hiccup and the dragons and everything but I mean there's only so much you can fit into like a what like 90 minute movie or whatever but um I still think that like it worked really well between the two of them the chemistry was there the chemistry was great how like she kept following him around and became more and more obsessive over his technique and what he was doing and everything I thought that that was because it was like this power shift almost where it's like she felt threatened by whatever it was he was doing. So she had to figure out what it was, you know, because she was like the top yeah. of everything. She, she, and, and and then... he, he came and just like destroyed <laughs> her. Yeah. 
but no, I really enjoyed the film. I think it was fantastic. Um, seems like you have a lot to talk about with it as well. I mean, we're on over an hour now, and that's like insane to me. It just goes to show, like, some people think that only like kind of film studenty like kind of films are like you know kino black and white shit can like mm-hmm. be di- be dissected, but any film can be dissected to a certain. Oh, extent. I, I am crazy over animated films. <laughs> Y'all are definitely I'm, same. I could talk about them all day, every day. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Uh, yeah. And one thing about Toothless, just him himself, is like peak dragon design in my opinion, because because when you think of dragons, you think of like the um what is it called? The the, the red ones. What are they called? The night no, the, the, the um, monstrous nightmares. Monstrous nightmares, yeah. Um like that's you generally what you think of when you think of a dragon, yeah. you know, red, red fire, the big kind spikes, of, yeah. the big wings, you know. But Toothless is so cute and like harmless looking. Like mm. he's just like this adorable little guy, like a black stitch or yeah, a, a yeah, cat with wings. Yeah. Like he's just like this really cute. Like he's he's like chubby and he's got like the big eyes and like but he's also extremely powerful and mm-hmm. very scary when he needs to be so it's like they make it work and it's so cool to see that happen it's going back to that per- point of personality as well like all the kids have uh dragons that fit their personalities and i think toothless fits hiccup in a sense that it's similar to hiccup hiccup presents himself as you know weak not mm-hmm. out for fighting dragons but when he puts his mind in the right place and he opens it up to kind of allying with dragons, he's now soaring, literally. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And really Toothless's personality, their friendship and everything, how it builds up. Like, not only is that scene where where Hiccup is trying to, like, get closer to Toothless and he feeds him the fish and then he does little drawing and everything. Not only is that scene, like, so moving, but also just the score for that scene, Forbidden Friendship. I listen to that all the time. And that alone is just, like so beautiful and heartwarming and everything because it's like you associate it with what's going on in the scene where it's like these two outcasts are like coming together and the friendship that forms over like that bond is like yeah really 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 cool to watch <laughs> i mean the music's fantastic like sometimes music like makes or breaks a film and it really does and i um personally like i i play trumpet in like a concert band thing and uh, when COVID wasn't like a mass, well, obviously wasn't a thing. Uh, last year, in the first term, we played the How to Train Your Dragon theme, or like a com- like a compilation oh, of some of the stuff. So cool. And it was yeah, it was so nice, and it was I loved playing the pieces, and it was really cool. So yeah, I definitely backed the soundtrack being the thing. I was in marching band, and we did Be Prepared one year, and it was great. Yeah, that was, <laughs> I think that was definitely one of the ones that we played. I remember the that name so definitely okay so i mean we're on an hour we're on an hour and 13 i was trying to keep these episodes very well on an hour and 13 give or take with everything i think i was trying to make these really small but i love just discussing different things and it's just really nice so uh, i'll wrap it up now by just saying thank you so much for coming on the show first of all i really appreciate that if you guys want to check out uh vixen dunk stuff her twitter will be in the description but it is 
V-I-X-N-D-W-N-Q, I think. It's bump, it's bump under, it's it's bump turned upside, upside down. down. And that's so sick, I love that. Um, also, if you're interested in that, check out her Patreon and her um, art account, Berry Meat Art, where she does a lot of art shop stuff. Obviously, the trading card stuff we were discussing. Check out the website there. And you were saying you're kind of you're making a new website for your trading cards as well, which would kind of be really good to look at as well. Yeah, I'm making uh, a few sites. I'm making a Vixen Twonks site, a Rika site, the trading card site, and then of course I have the Berry Meat site already up. So nice. So definitely <laughs> keep your keep your tabs on this artist and creative. So yeah, that's all from me for this episode. Uh, <laughs> I'll catch you all next week, and I'll see you guys later. Thank you. Bye, everybody.